0: Well, have you ever been the victim of someone else saying something that is untrue about you? Chances are, you've all experienced this. Even from the earliest ages, even young children are making false accusations against their siblings. Mom, dad, brother, or sister hit me, or I hit him or her because they hit me first. Sometimes you have to do some investigating to find out if it's even true. Have you experienced that? So if you grew up with siblings or have had children, I know you have and and know what that is all about. But sometimes these types of things continue on happening in a fallen world world in more consequential scenarios, from defamation suits over tabloids making false accusations, to lawsuits over slander regarding the numerous examples of character assassination that happens all over the place. When someone writes or says something that injures another person's reputation, not only is injustice had but there are also oftentimes legal cases to prosecute certain offenses. The Apostle Paul was not concerned with a legal case. However, defamation certainly occurred in the churches of Galatia as the false teachers were making slanderous claims about him. Last week, we saw that the reason Paul wrote this letter to be passed around and shared with the churches in Galatia was to confront the members of those churches who believed the false teachers, known as the Judaizers, and their false gospel. These Judaizers, as we saw, contradicted Paul's true gospel that he preached beforehand They contradicted it with a legalistic false gospel message that required people to submit to the Old Testament law in order to be saved. And these false preachers, in addition to their false message, also spoke poorly of the apostle Paul and basically called him out as a false apostle who taught a false gospel himself. So Paul is calling out the Judaizers, and they are calling out Paul. This is a showdown we're seeing here in Galatians. Do you see that? We're going to see that even more today. Like a good old-fashioned Western movie, where the two main characters meet in the middle of town outside the saloon. Paul and the Judaizers were throwing down in this epic battle of different Gospels, and they both made their claims. They both shared their ideas, loaded their guns, and lives, you see, were at stake here because of it. And after strongly condemning the false teachers and anyone, anyone who would preach a false gospel, remember, including angels, condemning them basically to hell if they preached a false gospel different than Paul gave. Remember Paul said, let them be accursed or let them be anathema. You know that that is the weightiest religious denunciation a person can make against someone. This is a serious thing that Paul is addressing. After that, he now turns to defend himself now, which we'll see this morning, giving his own personal testimony to clarify against the falsehood that was getting around about him. If you're a Christian here with us, you have hopefully shared your testimony of God's grace in your life before, right? We've shared the testimony of God in our lives. You see, in Paul's defense against the false accusations that we're gonna see here, and his sharing even of his own salvation testimony I hope that you and I and all of us will see a lot of echoes of our testimonies in the Apostle Paul's conversion testimony. In fact, I want us to examine our testimony right now in light of Paul's. Be thinking right now as we walk through Paul's testimony, consider our own. Remember back when God saved you. Remember what he did, the circumstances. And remember what he's doing in your life as we see how and when God saved the apostle Paul. This leads us to our first point in number one. Is your conversion testimony God or man-centered? Look with me now in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1 and verses 10 through 12. Paul writes, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, the false teachers said something to the effect of Paul being basically a poser. I don't know if you know that term, but back in the 80s, I used to ride skateboards And we all would point fingers at others for being posers, but in reality, we were posers. We weren't really great skaters, somebody who was claiming to be something who wasn't really that. The false teachers were saying that about the apostle Paul. They're like, here you have this guy who wasn't around with the original 12 apostles. You know, the ones who walked and talked with Jesus during his earthly ministry. Jesus, or Paul, wasn't one of those. And they likely claim that Paul learned from these original apostles, but then went on to twist his gospel message himself. That's what they were saying. And that they believed that they had a more authentic gospel message than Paul. That's what they were claiming. And the Galatian churches were believing it. But Paul writes to correct that slander against him. Not to defend himself like he felt so bad that people were talking bad about him. There were so many times people did things in their own name and Paul just let it go. You know, he's not just trying to defend his own name he was defending the gospel because what they were saying about him was was muddying up the gospel so i hope you could see this defense is different there were other times where the apostle paul was like hey people are preaching with bad motives even bad motives towards me but praise god that the gospel is going out if you remember that from other passages in scripture paul's not worried about just defending his name and his his experience he's he's defending it because of its connection to the gospel of christ He starts this letter in Galatians verse 1 of chapter 1. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. That's how he starts it. And then we just saw here the same thing, basically, that he has a message, a message from God, not man. He's setting the record straight. And that he cares about the glory of God and pleasing God alone and not trying to please man at all. In fact, Paul says that you can't be a Christian and serve Christ and also try to please man. Think about your own testimony in your own life now. Are you more worried about what others think or God? Are you a man-pleaser or a God-glorifier? A true Christian who has been converted, is that who you are? Not merely a professing Christian who has made an empty profession of faith, but one who has actually been converted by God. God worked something miraculous in your life. Where are you at? Those who have been genuine converted... Those kinds of people, you see, live for an audience of one. They live for eternal treasure. They live before the sight of God, not as actors before men as we saw in the Sermon on the Mount. To be clear here, though, caring about what other people think is not all bad. It's in our human nature to care. In fact, if we didn't care... People that are just careless like that, there's other wrong things going on. And if we say that we just don't care, then we're just lying. And that's not really a good way to live the life of a Christian anyways. We should be caring about others and caring how we're perceived and things of that nature. The issue here isn't carelessness. The issue is where we are seeking our ultimate approval. Where are you seeking your ultimate approval? if we are doing all of our religious practices in order to be seen by men and to please other people, then we are just proving that we're simply not saved. So think about your testimony. If it's all about you and all about how good you are or how smart you are or how moral and better you are than everybody else, then is that kind of testimony whether you say it or whether you think it, is that man-centered or God-centered? Where are you at this morning? Think of your own testimony. Because Paul's testimony that we see here, it kills the idea of boasting in man because he realized that it wasn't about him. Rather, it was all about God and his glorious grace alone. Also, Paul claimed here, in opposition to the false teachers, that his message was not given to him by anybody else, but given directly from God himself through Jesus Christ. You see, his conversion was God-centered. His life was God-centered. And his message came directly from who? god But apart from trying to make himself look good, you see, Paul was willing to point out how bad he himself actually was. You see, man-centered testimonies are self-boasting and self-congratulatory. On the other hand, God-centered testimonies are self-denying, humble, and honest about their sin. This leads us To our next point in number two, does your conversion testimony describe your godless life before your conversion? Look with me at verses 13 and 14 of Galatians 1 for this. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently, And tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age. Among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. Fathers. Does your testimony describe your godless life before your conversion? If anyone doubted that Paul was practicing what he preached, you see here that he goes on to speak badly about himself. Because it's not about Paul, is it? He said before, and we saw in our last point, he said, if I was still seeking to please man. Remember that? If I was still seeking to please man, you see that implies that Paul used to be what? A man pleaser and not A what? God-pleaser. In fact, prior to his conversion on the Damascus Road, where Jesus literally knocked him to the ground and blinded him, prior to that, he was going about persecuting the church to imprison Christians and even have them put to death. As we just read, he violently wanted to destroy the church of God. Paul was a terrorist doing violence against the church. Nine, right before his conversion, we read in verses one and two, and it says this But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. What a terrible guy he was. Paul was on a mission to capture Christians. Literally, on his road to the Damascus that we know about, that was Paul's road to terrorism. Terrorism. To Christian persecution and oppression. I think that calling Paul a terrorist is too strong? I want you to think now of the echoes in Acts 8 2 that we're gonna look at, modern countries where the underground church is being persecuted to this day. We've prayed for the persecuted church in our morning and evening worship services at times. I want you to hear the parallel and testimonies that we've even shared in countries like China or Afghanistan or North Korea where churches cannot freely meet and worship. Listen to these words from Acts chapter 8 and verse 2 right after Paul approved to, have, to give the go-ahead for the murder of Stephen, that martyr of the church that we know about. Right after he approves that, it says this in Acts chapter 8 and verse 3. But Saul... Was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. You see, Paul was the least likely of converts to Christianity. And he did so much evil as a religious man, thinking that his actions were actually good and just. Paul was a Pharisee doing all these things to gain what? The approval of man. Now he was a Christian testifying to how wicked and evil he was prior to his conversion. What he once saw as religious and legalistic works adding up to his reputation before men and women that he boasted about, we see that in Philippians, for instance, that he was fully devoted to, the Jewish traditions and the laws, that was Paul. What he saw as gain then, he sees now as pride. And he sees it for what it is. Godless unbelief and wickedness. And he's not afraid to talk about it. Are you afraid to talk about your son and how God saved you and what he did in your life? You see, Paul knew it wasn't about him. He knew it wasn't because he was so great. He knew that he couldn't earn it. In fact, he realized that all of his works were but worthless and evil. Is that true of you? All of our testimonies before Christ are different variations of Paul's testimony. Now, we weren't terrorists persecuting the church, of course. Some are. Some have that in their testimonies but we were wicked and evil and godless just like Paul. Is that a part of your testimony? Does your testimony point out how bad off that you were or how bad off that you are apart from the grace of Christ? Is that a part of your story? If you shrink back from the reality of your own sin and guilt and never see or share how wicked you were and are apart from Christ, What does that say about you? Have you ever thought that if that kind of thing describes you, that you don't want to talk about that kind of stuff, that maybe it's because you've never experienced the life-changing grace of God in your life for wicked, undeserving sinners? Because you see, wicked, undeserving sinners, when they're saved like that, they recognize it and they glorify God. People who think that they're basically okay aren't going to glorify God or talk about all that kind of stuff. But if you are here and you're like Paul and you see your former unbelieving life for the wickedness and lostness that it is and you share that with others, then that means you get it. You get it. You really get it. You get that it's not all about you and that it's not about saving face but displaying God's grace in your life, even if it makes you look really bad. Do you, like the Apostle Paul, openly share what a wreck and mess you were and are apart from God's grace and work in your life? If so, that's a good sign. Because that means that you get the good news of the gospel for bad people. Because it's bad and desperate and wicked people who get saved by the gospel. Those are the only people that get saved by the gospel. As Jesus said in Mark chapter 2 and verse 17, he says this, and when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Let that sink in for a minute. And I hope you could see now why Paul points to his godless life before his conversion as he embraces the reality of sinners being saved by grace alone and Paul echoes this sentiment here in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verses 15 through 16 jot this down in your bibles or look at it on the screen Paul says the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. What a perfect transition! to our next point, and number three. Do you share how and why God converted you? Look with me now at Galatians 1 and verses 15 through 21 for this. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace... "'was pleased to reveal his son to me "'in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. "'I did not immediately consult with anyone, "'nor did I go up to Jerusalem "'to those who were apostles before me, "'but I went away into Arabia "'and returned again to Damascus. "'Then after three years, "'I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas "'and remained with him 15 days. "'But I saw none of the other apostles "'except James, the Lord's brother.'" And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the region of Syria and Cilicia. You can see here Paul's defense, right? He's like, what I'm sharing about my testimony isn't a lie. Why? Because people were saying that it was a lie. They were slandering him saying different things that contradicted this testimony that he's giving. You see, the the false teachers were claiming something like, I don't know, something to the fact that he's calling, they were calling to question Paul and what he did, saying he received this message from other people and then twisted this message himself. But Paul's like, and you just saw it, he's like, I'm telling you, that is not how it went down. I'm here to set the record straight. He gives an account here and he's defending himself against the false accusations. Why? Because of the connection with the gospel message that he was preaching. He's showing without a shadow of a doubt here that his gospel was not man's gospel, but it's a gospel that came directly from a revelation of God himself through Jesus Christ. Jesus met him. He received his gospel directly from Jesus, Jesus knocked him down and blinded him as he was going to persecute Christians as a pharisaical, legalistic, religious terrorist. Now, after he heard the gospel from Christ, he was a preacher, not a persecutor. And all of that was according to the grace of God working in him to stop him in his tracks and to change the course of his life couldn't take any credit for that. He was just sharing his story, his testimony. He once was blind, but now he sees. He once was a persecutor, but now he was an apostle, a pillar of the church. And who does Paul give credit to here? He gives credit to God himself for all of this. Paul wasn't smart enough or good enough to figure it all out. In fact, Jesus had to blind the man. Like when you're taking the eyeglass vision tests, they give you those drops and you're seeing blurry and it's hard to see for a minute. Paul remained like that. He couldn't see and he was blinded by Christ. That's how Jesus had to get his attention. Not because he was good enough or great. Jesus in- intervened to convert this zealous religious terrorist. Quickly, on this note, is there anyone that God cannot save? Your family member that you've been praying for? If God can save Paul, he can save them. And think of your own life, if you're honest about your situation, if you're seeing it like Paul sees it. If he can save you, and you know you, he could save anyone. Do you realize how bad off you were? And how miraculous it was that God would transform you? I want you to think on that for a minute. Now, if you're just a cultural Christian, in name and tradition only, there's nothing miraculous about that at all. If your claim to Christianity is simply that you show up to church sometimes, whatever else, just cultural Christianity, just do it because the family does, just do it because whatever, that is not conversion, that is not genuine Christianity. That's stale religion, that's tradition, that is a works-based legalistic mentality That is not the gospel. Paul didn't care about all that false stuff because he realized that it took a miracle of God to save him. And he he knew that it would take a miracle to save anybody else. Do you know that it took a miracle of God to save you? Dear Christian, look again at Galatians 1 and verse 15. It says this, but when... He who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace. Paul is talking about God here. What God did for him. God set him apart before his birth. God chose him. And God called him by his undeserved grace. Because we just saw Paul didn't deserve God's grace. What did he deserve? He deserved his judgment. He was a terrible guy. He was an evil church persecutor. Jesus even said on the road, Paul, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Because persecuting the church is persecuting Christ himself, who is the head of the church. Listen, Paul's testimony is your testimony if you're a genuine believer. A miracle and plan of God had to occur in your life for you to be saved. He set you apart before you were born. Dear Christian, rejoice in that. Tell others about that. Be thankful to him about that. And we see here also in verse 16a, the first part of that, it says here, I was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. You see, God was pleased to reveal Jesus Christ to Paul, to reveal the Son of God to him, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, to Paul. If you're a believer... God was pleased to reveal Jesus to you. What pleases you? What makes you happy? Giddy. What gives you joy? I tell you what makes God happy. Revealing his son to godless unbelievers like you and me and Paul. God saved you and me and Paul by a miracle of his divine grace and work and planning and purposes. Have you experienced that? Do you tell others excitedly about this grace in your life? Or is your salvation testimony just ho-hum to you? If it is, That's just religious tradition. That's not true conversion. Wake up, dear one. Salvation is more glorious than that ho-hum, boring, snoring, lazy kind of stuff that just doesn't care and doesn't see and doesn't rejoice. One evidence of true salvation is if you are doing actually something in response to your conversion, in response to what God has done to you. Not works righteousness, but transformation, a new creation. Not earning, but demonstrating God's grace in you out of thankfulness to him. For Paul was converted not just to sit around and take it easy and yawn and be careless and apathetic, but what? To preach Christ. Paul was converted to preach, to preach specifically here to the Gentiles. That was his case, that was his calling. And all of this was through a miraculous work of God directly working in him. And Paul was like, look, I didn't learn it from the other apostles. Sure, I visited them, we saw this already. But only after three years after my conversion, after I had already learned from God, from Christ and had been preaching the gospel for three years before his visit to the apostles. You see how he's he's clarifying here. He's they're saying this, but this is what really happened. And then after a mere two-week short visit in Jerusalem, where he spent some time with Peter and James, the brother of Jesus, he goes to Syria and Cilicia right after that for a long, long time. God gave Paul, direct revelation. And I want you to see that for an apostle and what happened with him, it's unique to him as an apostle, but I want you to see that he's simply telling it like it is. I I didn't hear it from other people. Paul heard his message directly from, from Christ himself. He didn't get his gospel from others. Jesus gave it to him. And all of this was according to a divine plan. Sure, he had fellowship with the other apostles, he was preaching the same gospel as them. Sure, that was a nice visit. We don't know what went on, but it was two weeks. He certainly didn't build his whole theology and foundation on that because certainly in the three years in between, he was doing business with God and God was revealing him great things. And the product of that is what? Thirteen letters of the New Testament. We see a man who had direct revelation of God. He was a true apostle. And, and Paul here, you see, he's counterpunching... The false teachers and those Judaizers point by point in his conversion testimony so far that we've already seen. And he ends his testimony here with a knockout uppercut punch that would make Mike Tyson in his prime blush. This leads us to number four. Does your conversion testimony glorify God? Does it? Look with me now at verses 22 through 24. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said. He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. You see, Paul was unknown in Judea because despite what those false teachers might have said, Paul was only there for a short two week stay. And he didn't even meet with a lot of people, did he? And he didn't go to learn the gospel from Peter and James, but to have fellowship with those church leaders because Paul's gospel was the other apostles' gospel as well. They shared it. So this was a direct refutation of the false teacher's slanderous claims against him. Paul was like, you all know that I was barely even known in Judea because I was spending all of my time doing what God called me to do to glorify him by preaching to the Gentiles. That's why he was spending all his time. Look, these last two points, I want you to see that they go together. Because as we saw in in point three, if God saved you miraculously, he saved you for a purpose to do something about it. And we see here that purpose in, in our fourth point here that we're looking at. He saved you to be a witness and a testimony to him, to glorify him. What did God save you for, dear Christian? Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Just like God prepared and planned to call the Apostle Paul by His grace and reveal Jesus to him, He also prepared good works for Paul to walk into as he preached to the Gentiles, Paul was busy preaching all over and fulfilling his mission to preach to the Gentiles that he really didn't have a lot of extra time to spend in Judea. But simply to stop in, meet quickly with a few, and get back to his work and calling. He was called by God. He was motivated by God. And he was living for the glory of God. If you're a genuine believer here with us, you will display not only that God converted you, but that He converted you for a reason. People will see why in your life, because there'll be evidence of that. And that is that His name might be glorified and displayed all around you in your life. God has prepared that for you, believer. He's called you to it, a calling. A calling that is most central to our lives. He called you Christian. Do you realize that? Are you living right now in light of that? Your family, your church, your community here in Gallatin is the arena where your good works will be displayed that God prepared beforehand for you to walk into them. Not only to get you saved, but to display His glory and grace in and through your life. Like He did in the Apostle Paul's. You are an object of God's mercy if you're a believer. Just as Paul's former wicked life and glorious miraculous conversion was a testimony to those who were around him, we are as well, if we're true Christians. But is that true of you here today? Are you a testimony to God's grace? Or as Alistair Begg put it in his penetrating question, he says this, are there people praising God on account of you and me today? Think of your life. Think of your own conversion testimony. You see, a God-centered conversion testimony leads to a God-centered life that displays the glory of God. But a man-centered testimony leads to a godless life like the Apostle Paul experienced in his unbelieving religious days prior to his conversion that seeks the praise and approval of man and no one's going to glorify God because of that kind of a testimony. What's your testimony like? What is your conversion testimony like? Think of it again. Are there people praising God on account of you? That's one big reason God saved you. One of many to display his grace and glory in and through your life. In you, in a sinner like Paul, let us all then as believers, let our light shine and display not our goodness because we didn't have any, not our smarts because it wasn't about us, not our morality and, and whatever, because it's not about that, but it's about God's grace alone so that others would glorify God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your miraculous grace. We know that we would not be who we are if it wasn't for you. You're glorious, you're good, you're majestic, you're mighty. Strengthen us all in the faith today as we consider your work in our life. Help us to reinterpret our imaginations and how we think about our conversions in light of what you've revealed in the Bible. Help us to give you glory Help us not to be trying to make ourselves look good, but help us to be glorifying you in all things. And help us leave from here, O oh God, thankful to you for who you are, displaying you to our community, oh God, for your grace and for your glory. We say this in Jesus' name, amen.